0: Healing Conversations About Mental Illness.
1: Season three of this podcast is sponsored by the Charles E. Kubley Foundation, which supports efforts to reduce the stigma of mental illness. We are solely responsible for podcast content.
0: Hello Bridget. Hi Terry. As a mother of two teens, I gotta say it can be really difficult to distinguish between surly teen behavior and a true red flag that is something more serious and that demands attention. And today's guest, Sally, shares with us her story in hopes of reminding us all to stay alert and to pay attention and to support our youth. And at nearly 70, she's looking back at her 10-year-old self and her
1: 13-year-old self and saying there were signs and there were things that could have and should have been done but weren't. And it was a different time, but we don't have that excuse anymore. So she's asking us to listen and pay attention to those 10-year-olds
0: or whatever-year-olds in our lives to tune in and step in. Right, and yet she's doing that without blame. She's saying that it was a lack of education, Mm -hmm. which I really appreciated. Mm -hmm. And here's Sally giving voice to depression.
1: So do you remember that kid in school who always seemed kind of sad? She may have even been your friend, but you knew you were having a good time. And she, well, you never really knew. Sally was that kid, one of way too many, who all think they're the only one.
2: My friends were happy people, and I slept. I slept as much as I possibly could through my teenage years, and I thought that I just wasn't like them. I didn't realize that my my constant fear, sadness, darkness... Of my teenage years might be something more than just puberty, um, loving uh, Camus and Sartre, <laughs> and, and 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 reading dark things. Mm-hmm. You know that that could be an indicator of something that was going on in my mind mm-hmm. or my brain. I thought I just had an old soul and a dark mind, and that I was unusual. While excessive sleeping is a common
1: symptom of depression, it's not always recognized, and it certainly wasn't in the 60s for Sally. Nobody really took notice, even after Sally hit her lowest childhood point.
2: And that occurred with the death of my grandmother, who was my savior, my protector, the one who hugged me the most and told me that I was all those things that little girls want to hear. I didn't know she was dying somehow, mm-hmm. and I, I just fell apart. And then after that, I had to deal with parents who were, let's say, uneducated about how to help a child grieve. And there was nowhere to go with those feelings. Years later,
1: Sally found an outlet for them and sent up a flair with a book of poetry she wrote
2: for a high school English class. Probably other young girls were, you know, writing about first love or springtime, and, and mine was about how dark the day was and how, you know, deep the pain was, and those are not generally... Uh, well who's to, who's to say I mean some teenagers do you know have deep imaginations mm-hmm. and so you know they're maybe it's not depression, maybe it's just some sadness on that given day that they were writing a poem. Right. who knows, but I have a a booklet full of those mm-hmm. deep, dark poems. I certainly thought about suicide when I was a child. Mm-hmm. Not so much in the, how would I kill myself, but more in the, why am I here? Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, who made me live like this? Her thoughts
1: were so dark, so different from the other kids, that her teacher was concerned enough to call her parents and tell them there might be something wrong with Sally.
2: They did not tell me that the teacher had called, Mm. or they didn't ask me any questions, like, how are you? Like, how are you? Yeah, I don't remember that at all. If, if they did, I just shoved it off into a corner and took a nap. Mm-hmm. So I do believe that it was shame mm-hmm. or maybe even guilt, or it could have been the influence of the United States Marine Corps, <laughs> World War II, upon my father, yes. who said, uh, as a family, we can take care of this.
1: And Sally has believed for years that that's about the time depression showed up in her life with its moving van. But recently, when going through some things her parents had saved, she discovered, in that very book of her dark poems from high school, that it started even
2: earlier. I found a letter that I wrote to my grandmother from camp when I was 10 years old.
1: Okay.
2: And in the envelope with the four-cent stamp... (laughs) Uh, And it was probably pre-addressed. I know I didn't ever write this sort of thing to my parents. Would you like to hear it? I'd love it. Dear Grandma, I'm having a nice time, but I wish I were with you. It's so lonely. Right now, I'm alone. The rest are out getting leaves for a scrapbook. I feel like crying because I miss you so much. Last night and this morning it rained, so I guess I might be having fun. I better close before I break down and cry, so goodbye, your granddaughter. I guess I might be having fun? Well, I guess I might have been having fun, I don't know.
1: And Sally really doesn't know, because camp might have been a truly wonderful time. But her childhood depression simply didn't allow her to experience it. But now, at 69, Sally wants that history to be history.
2: If, in fact, at age 10, I could write that kind of a letter home, I I, I think if I had been that grandmother and gotten that letter, I I would have talked to my children first and said, I'm hauling this child off to a therapist. Mm And then I would have found out as that child, I was not alone. Mm -hmm. And I think that's the most important thing. But I still think, (laughs) I think we have an opportunity here today Mm -hmm. to make sure that little 10 year olds like me Mm -hmm. off at camp Mm -hmm. aren't suffering. I think that we can be so much more aware and we can access so much more. Mm -hmm help and assistance as parents, as mentors, as teachers, uh, there's just, there's so much more help for children like I was.
1: Without assistance and support herself, Sally was 21 before she was diagnosed with depression and in her 40s before she took medication for it. Meds
2: actually prescribed for a totally different issue. He said, now this is an antidepressant, not a pain medication. And I must have looked quizzical. And he said, it'll work. Mm -hmm. And I said, okay, I'll I'll give it a try. And a couple of weeks into the therapy to get rid of the pain, I woke up one day and the sun was brighter and I felt happy. Kind of the happiness that you feel on a birthday when your friends are there and there's a present that you hoped you would get and there was a big cake Oh, my. And it was, you know, just another dumb day in February, and I felt great. And I I did not know what that was until the second day when I felt that again and again and again and again. Two things need pointing out here. The
1: first is that description of connecting with life and joy comes from the very same person who described dreading her life just a few minutes ago. So when you hear, it will pass. Life is worth living or you will get out of that dark hole, don't dismiss those as bumper stickers or platitudes. Depression is treatable. And the second is that few, if any, real-life medication stories end like the scene in The Wizard of Oz where suddenly it's technicolor versus black and white, and we live happily ever after.
2: Like most people on medication in the early days, I thought, I'm cured. Right. So after probably six months, I said, oh, I don't need this anymore. Ugh. And then went through many, many years of trying different medications. And had, well, I moved a lot, so I had a lot of new uh, psychiatrists, new therapists, and who would say, Oh, well, we have this new one called mm-hmm. whatever. Mm-hmm. Let's try this. And uh, they were not effective mm-hmm. until, actually, until I was in my late 50s and I uh, was given another medication which is chemically very similar to the first one that i took and again it was waking up on a birthday again the sun was shining the leaves were green and i felt so much better and in talking with the psychiatrist at the time he said you will probably need to be on medication every day of your life If for any reason you have some intellectual or rational thought that you shouldn't be on medication, call me immediately because you cannot stop taking medication. You have to let it get out of your system. But he said, but I don't advise that you ever do that. Mm -hmm. And so I have not. I've always taken my medication.
1: And Sally built and has a life she's proud of.
2: And, And managed to have a career. Ultimately, a good career. Uh, well, it was a good career, yeah. absolutely. It's powerful. It started out slowly, mm-hmm. built myself into a vice president of a multinational corporation, mm-hmm. and lived in Manhattan, and you know, with all the bells and whistles that one can achieve in a career, mm-hmm. and fleetingly and situationally sought therapy. I have wonderful things in my life. I've got a puppy, (laughs) all of the wonderful things, and yet it's still that pit you fall into.
1: We asked Sally to describe her pit, and she immediately spoke of a beautiful navy blue wool coat she used to have.
2: The the feeling for me is, all of a sudden, I find I'm wearing that coat, and it has gotten rain-soaked and cold, and I can barely stand up from it. There is also the the quintessential pit. Uh, It's annihilation, somehow, that I, you know, I can't recover from this. It's too awful, it's too big, it's too heavy, it's too cold, and I'm in this pit forever. So that's, you know, that's how it feels. I know better. Mm And sometimes I wonder how I know better.
1: Sally's retired now, and not only sharing her story and perspective with us in this episode, she's also sharing of herself, working seven days a week, unpaid until we get more funding. Sorry, Sally. Monitoring giving voice to depression social media, personally responding to each and every comment because she knows how important it is to know that someone's there, someone's listening, someone cares. And understands.
2: You know, at my elder age, Mm -hmm. looking back, uh, if I had gone away to college, for example, and I had the internet Mm -hmm. and I had podcasts that I could listen to without anyone knowing about it, I would have been in a much better place. I would have probably demanded support from a therapist. Mm-hmm. Um, I think there would have been um, no question that a guidance counselor or a, a teacher's comments would have had a bigger effect on, on my family, mm-hmm. on my parents. So
1: tune in to the whole of the children in your life, their physical and their mental health. We put a lot of Band-Aids on a lot of scraped knees, but we don't routinely ask if everything's okay. Really okay when something seems off with a child.
2: And so I think, you know, if by ending the stigma, by educating everybody about what this is, we can get to the point where children who have depression, no matter what age, are identified and are directed toward the help they need, including all, every member of their family. Mm-hmm. Can I say, it depresses me when I find out how many youthful suicides there are. And, and it, they need not be. Um, so, yeah, I think looking back, I think, you know, any help that I would have been given, and by that I mean qualified help, right, right. Uh, would have changed the direction of my life. Well, I'm glad you're still here. Thank you. I'm happy to be here, too. I love that word
0: demand when she said demand support. It's a, it's a difficult thing to do when you're in a disempowered, kind of unresourced place. But boy, it really can make a difference. And Sally mentioned stigma. And I just wanted to share that one of the ways I
1: tried to reduce the stigma of any mental health challenge or counseling for my children was that I called therapists, feeling doctors. So if we had a problem with our tooth, took them to a tooth doctor, problem with the foot, the foot doctor. And if they had trouble identifying or dealing with a feeling, I said, time to go see the feeling doctor. I didn't make a big deal out of it. It was never a weekly thing. It was just when... As mom, I knew something was up and they weren't going to tell me, and I took them there so that they would tell him or
0: her. So I think to this day, if they ever needed to do that, they would both feel free to. I think you're absolutely right that it helped them get through some tricky times, and I think that you as an older sister of mine, have really role modeled using the resource in the school system of the counselor. You always went when you had a question, when you were concerned about something, you encouraged your kids to go and that's there every day. Mm -hmm, Absolutely. Thank you, Sally, so much for sharing your story with us and for doing all that you do daily to help support our growing Facebook and Twitter community of over 4,000 now. I know it takes a lot of effort, and we appreciate you. You truly are a gift to all of us. Thank you, Sally. We hope that our podcasts bring about a little more understanding or help people articulate their experience of depression a little more. And thanks to each and every person who's digging deep and finding the words and finding the courage to give voice to depression. And you can find our podcasts on our website, givingvoicetodepression.com,
1: as well as on iTunes, where we hope you will subscribe, rate, and respectfully comment. And
0: please remember, if you're hurting, speak up. If someone else is hurting, listen up.